This is Packers Now. Kyle Rogers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Yes! Touchdown! Place for all your Packers news. Lost it over the left side into the end zone. Intercepted! Adrian Get the latest updates on the green and gold. Snap to Aaron Rodgers. Sets, fires, right side. Got Jordan Kelly at the 30. Touchdown! It's always Packers season at Packers Now. Right here, right now. And the Packers are going to the NFC Championship game. I'm your host, Ben Kurkowski, and we did this halfway through the season as well. But I wanted to take today uh, to do a really in-depth breakdown of how Brian Gutekinds and his performance has been so far as a general manager. And where this starts and what I want to highlight is how good Brian Gutekinds did this last season in taking opportunities on veteran free agents. These were low-risk, high-reward type of players. I don't know if you know this, but the Packers were in a very tight salary cap situation last year. And because of that, the Packers did not have a lot to work with in terms of signing players early on in free agency. And they stayed out of that for the most part until late July when the Packers really began making moves. And to start making moves in late July uh, is so important because what it does is it gives the teams more control in contract negotiations than the player. At this point, each player that is still available is losing value every single day because if they don't sign a deal, they might not make any money at all. And they might get so behind, they might not learn the offense or defense fast enough, and they might not be able to put their best body of work out on the field to help them make money the following offseason. So... Most of the signings that happen this late in the season are cheap. And so because of that, there are low-cost moves, moves that give the team little risk but a chance at a very high reward. Since late July, Brian Gutekinds added a ton of players that had the potential at drastically changing this Packers team, which are moves the Packers usually wouldn't make, yet they did. And they had an immense in payoff, honestly, throughout the season for the Packers. <clears throat> Brian Gutekinds made several cost-effective moves to try to make this team incrementally better, and he did just that. And I don't give credit to Gutekinds most of the time because of how he handles the draft, some big money contracts, some big money players, but the moves he made since about June, July this last summer were, were sensational. He had signed or traded for a slew of veteran players on very cheap cost-effective contracts, and here's that list of players. The free agents the Packers signed. Cornerback Rasul Douglas, who finished the season as the 14th best cornerback in the NFL. Linebacker Devondre Campbell, who finished the season as an all-pro linebacker. Edge rusher Whitney Merciless, who while healthy was an above-average edge rusher this season for the Packers. We traded for wide receiver Randall Cobb, and when healthy, he had an unreal connection with Aaron Rodgers when he was able to get fit into our offense. Right tackle Dennis Kelly, who once was healthy actually played better than our previous right tackle in Billy Turner at a price of basically nothing when it comes to a high value position like offensive tackle. All of these players boosted this Packers team to a place where they were considered the favorites to win the Super Bowl and got them the number one seed in the NFC by pay paying them basically nothing, close to nothing when it comes to NFL terms. But here's the deal you don't hit on every single veteran player you sign in free agency. It just doesn't work like that. But 
Gudikins didn't just only get lucky with these guys. Gudikins has taken chances on several players like this this year because there were three other proven veteran players he signed that did not work out. And you probably don't even remember or recognize some of these players' names. Cornerback Quentin Dunbar. He was on the team for about 10 days. He was in a similar place as Rasul Douglas. Formerly, one year, even had an elite season as a cornerback, but Dunbar did not work out. He was not helpful to our team, so we let him go in and out the door just like that. Linebacker Jalen Smith, before the season would have started, if you would have told me, hey, do you want Jalen Smith or Devondre Campbell on your team? 10 times out of 10, I would have said Jalen Smith. The Packers signed him. They tried to see if he could fit in our on our roster, on our defense, make an impact, and he just couldn't, and he was let go a few weeks later. And then wide receiver Devin Funches. Devin Funches was technically signed in 2020, but then sat out for COVID and then re-signed a new deal with the Packers for the veteran minimum. And the Packers ended up cutting Funches, but we don't remember that. All we see is the fact that Randall Cobb was thriving back at home in Green Bay. So, basically... The Packers grabbed eight veteran players the rest of the league pretty much had given up on and signed them for very cheap veteran minimum contracts. Five of those guys, players had these players had huge impacts on the, on the team. Three of them were simply cut just after a few weeks of practice. But the other five, those five guys were instrumental in this team's success this season. Randall Cobb, we talked about, had the highest passer rating when targeted among all receivers in the NFL. Devonder Campbell was an all-pro pro linebacker. Rasul Douglas was the 14th best cornerback in the NFL, made interception after interception to finish off games for the, for the Packers. Whitney Merciless gave us the boost we needed from the edge rusher position. Dennis Kelly stepped in at right tackle, and our offense did not miss a beat. Moves like these usually go overlooked. Most people want you to sign big name this, big name that, and throw a lot of money around at these huge, huge name free agents, but you can't afford to do that, and most of the time it's not even worth it. What Brian Gudikins did by acquiring eight veteran experienced players who have all played at a solid to great level at some points during their career, or at least have a lot of experience, all the way into the summer was the best thing he could have done when it came to free agency. Because he acquired eight guys, five of which worked out, if you don't count injury, for almost nothing. And the way those deals were signed, the three which we cut, we didn't keep paying money to. They signed unguaranteed veteran minimum contracts. These are shots worth taking, and they have been huge in the Packers' success. If the Packers don't have these five guys, you're, five guys, you're talking about a team that probably went ten and seven this season, all because you spent a total of about six million dollars more, and that's nothing in today's NFL landscape. Gudikins deserves a lot of credit for acquiring so much talent throughout the summer, in the training camp, and throughout the regular season constantly trying to upgrade this roster incrementally and it's those moves that raised the floor of this team incredibly and led to the Packers earning the number one seed in the NFC in now back-to-back seasons so this is where Gudikins deserves a lot of credit I was really impressed with just how many in-season moves you can make to help your team improve now though I do want to talk about where Gudikins has fallen short and I'm going to start with missing out on a couple more in-season pickups the Packers could have made Although Gudikins signed eight veteran players, there were, I think, two more guys take worth taking a chance on to improve this roster. One was Richard Richard Sherman. Sherman was very flexible in how he was going to be used in Tampa Bay after they signed him. 
if Sherman would have been able to recover from injury, they plan to kind of switch his role similar similar to the late career switching of roles that Charles Woodson had to move from cornerback to more of a slot cornerback safety hybrid type of player. Um, and if healthy, I think Sherman would have thrived in that role, but sadly he struggled with an injury almost from day one that really didn't ever get to see that come to fruition for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But that doesn't mean he was not would not have been worth taking a chance on. It just would have been unlucky. That's all that he got injured this year. The other major player who was cut during the regular season that the Packers at this point, we can obviously say we needed to sign was Odell Beckham Jr. OBJ had a 72.2 receiving grade according to PFF since joining the Rams this season. And the Rams have been able to take advantage of OBJ so well as the number two receiver in that offense. And he has truly proved himself as a great option over there in LA, an option good enough to take them to the Super Bowl. And they only signed him to a contract that counted less than $1 million on the cap this season, which is basically nothing, similar to all those other contracts I just told you about. The Packers did not do a good enough job marketing themselves as the better option to win a Super Bowl with. They were the better team, and they should have been able to easily convince OBJ that, hey, if you learn the offense, you will be the second best receiver on this team. That was not even guaranteed in LA before he signed because over there in LA, OBJ signed before Robert Woods was even injured. So if OBJ was able to learn the Rams offense, he probably would have just still been the third option in that offense. And this is a guy probably trying to make a lot of money this offseason after a down couple of years. And the Packers would have been able to showcase his skills a lot better before that injury that happened to Robert Woods. The Packers missed out on this opportunity big time. The Packers needed someone to step up and play well in the divisional round other than Devonta Adams. And none of our receivers could. We needed a number two wide receiver, and we did not have one. And that was a big reason why we lost that game to the 49ers. Since OBJ started playing with the Rams in Week 10, he has been the 33rd ranked receiver in the NFL, according to PFF. The Packers' next closest was Alan Lazard at number 46 during that time. So uh, OBJ definitely would have been a serious upgrade for this offense in the playoffs giving them plenty of options and even more offensive packages to work with to take advantage of each receiver's best qualities. So personally to me, missing out on these two guys, even after signing eight big veteran free agents, was a miss, a big one. Uh, You have to win these negotiations, and the Packers won a lot of them, but not enough. And that's the difference between still being in the playoffs or not. That's the difference between going to a Super Bowl or not. Another big fault to Brian Gutekunst is his misunderstanding of priority positions. The most important position you can invest in, most important positions you can invest in are quarterback, wide receiver, offensive tackle, edge rusher, and cornerback. And so there's a few big mistakes I'd say Gutekunst has made over the last few years, most recently with the new Aaron Jones contract. Aaron Jones finished this season as the fifth highest running back overall this season, which is really good. Yet, I question the decision to re-sign him this last offseason. I still don't think that was a great move. We basically signed him, if you look at the dead money, to a four-year contract paying him around $8 million a year. And if you take in the important numbers, it's about 
the eight million a year. And that's not a ton of money for the fifth best running back in the NFL. But the hard part is it's still too much. Even if you look at the sixth highest running back in the NFL, which was Cordero Patterson, who signed a one-year $3 million contract, which would have been cheaper and probably because of his skill set, in even because Cordero Patterson's skill set is such even more contrast, even such a stark difference to AJ Dillon's, probably would have been had an even greater effect on our offense than Aaron Jones had. Okay. And especially what Cordell Patterson could have added to our special teams unit. And the difference between the fifth highest running back and the 20th highest running back is not that much. It's really not at all. Not a lot at all. And in the top 20 running backs in the NFL, five of them were rookies. And all five of which were not drafted before the fifth round in the 2020 NFL draft. And so if, or 2021 NFL draft. And so if you just draft well, you're talking about having a huge impact running back on your roster who has a similar output to Aaron Jones for a fraction of the cost. This is a financial and huge roster building mistake that you just cannot have. I'm a huge Aaron Jones fan. Don't get me wrong. But every year, there are great running backs in the draft. There are really cheap veteran free agent options that you can take advantage of. And here was a place the Packers missed out on investing in a receiver that could have helped this team a lot more than Aaron Jones ever could. The other major free agent mistake the Packers made was re-signing Kevin King. The Packers signed Kevin King to a one-year $5 million contract basically just for safety because they were scared. And that was just dumb. Kevin King played better this year than he has in the past, but you have to understand where his value is at, where the league valued him. King is not worth $5 million. He's not. And there are no teams in the NFL that would have thought so after seeing how he played in 2020, where he had a 50.1 overall grade. The Packers should have been patient, waited out Kevin King, signed him to a much smaller contract, like one year, $2.5 million. Because as much as you guys do not like Kevin King, he did have a better season. He finished with a 71 overall grade, which is pretty darn solid, actually. But we could have signed him for much cheaper. And then what you could have done is you could have used that $2.5 million to spend in a different way. Because there was a different free agent cornerback, Casey Hayward, who signed a one-year deal worth $2.5 million to the Las Vegas Raiders. And Hayward was a top five cornerback the last 10 years. And he actually started his career with the Packers before the Packers made the decision to move on from him. He was coming off a year where he didn't necessarily play very well, but that was really a fluke, it seems like, because he finished 2021 as the 21st best cornerback in the NFL. The Packers, if they did it right, could have had both Kevin King and Casey Hayward for $5 million. And this is just another example of taking a chance on veteran free agents, low risk, high reward options. And it's a numbers game. The more chances you take, the more likely you hit on one of those chances. Going back to priority positions though, this concept really surfaces itself out the most in recent NFL drafts for the Packers. The data tells us that top 100 picks in the draft are the most important. These are the players with the highest likelihood of becoming impact players on your roster. So basically rounds one to three. Now taking taking that into account and taking into account priority position groups, you want to invest these top 100 picks in priority positions more often than not, which those five positions I'll remind you are QB, wide receiver, offensive tackle, and then edge rusher and cornerback if you can. 
Now, over the last three NFL drafts, the Packers have invested four of their top, uh, four of their 10 top 100 picks into priority positions. Cornerback Eric Stokes was a great selection for that reason in last year's draft. Rashawn Gary was a great selection because of this in the 2019 NFL draft. And technically, Jordan Love being a quarterback and wide receiver Amari Rodgers were both good priority position picks. But that's still less than 50% of your top 100 picks being on priority position groups. And I would argue that the Jordan Love pick was still a mistake. I don't agree with it. Yes, QB is the most important position position for sure. But if you already have an elite QB, I don't think it's smart to invest in another one. And why? I hate it because when teams are spending upwards of $10 million or a really high draft pick on a backup QB, that's money or draft capital you could be investing to help that elite quarterback have a better roster around him to have a better chance at winning a Super Bowl. It's not rebuild or elite quarterback and try to win Super Bowl. It's one or the other. You don't try to mix those two together or you get somewhere in the middle of the pack and it's Super Bowl or bust. And I think that's why I don't like the Jordan Love pick for me. And then the Amari Rodgers pick, you all know I didn't like very much either. He was a wide receiver. I get that. But he was a very non-athletic slot wide receiver with no special teams history. And Randall Cobb, at the age of 31, looked more athletic than Amari Rodgers did out there this year. Athleticism has to be taken into account. And even on-field play, and Amari Rodgers didn't hit either one of those categories. In college, Amari Rodgers was not a great wide receiver ever. And so, to me, those two picks really don't even hit uh, the qualities I would look for in top 100 picks either. And the position group that hurt the most because of the last three NFL drafts for the Packers was wide receiver. We talked about this, but one of the biggest issues this Packers team has had for years is that we don't have a true number two wide receiver that is capable of stepping up if Devontae Adams is being double covered. We didn't, and that led to our offense hitting huge droughts throughout the season and only leading our offense to put together just three scoring drives in the divisional round. It was a large reason why we lost our chance at winning a Super Bowl this season and has been the reason for, I'd say, several seasons now, especially since Matt LaFleur has taken over, our number two to number four wide receivers did not even have as many yards as Devontae Adams did this season, and that's a huge problem. So let's just say the Packers invested even just their offensive selections that weren't in priority position groups other than Jordan Love at the wide receiver position. These are the players you would be talking about having on the Packers team. So I'm ta- I'm taking the next receiver, take it off the board instead of those other offensive positions we drafted. And if we drafted the next receiver off the board, here's the receivers you would have on your team. In 2019, instead of drafting Elton Jenkins, an interior offensive lineman, you would, you would have A.J. Brown the fourth best receiver in the NFL this season. And instead of tight end Jace Sternberger, you would have wide receiver Terry McLaurin, the 22nd best wide receiver in the NFL this season, and he was even better in 2020. In the 2020 NFL draft, instead of Jordan Love, you would have wide receiver T. Higgins, the 14th best wide receiver in the NFL this season, basically a glorified tight end at six foot five, 
He's a huge target in the middle of that offense for the Bengals. He was a big reason why they are on their way to the Super Bowl this year. And then instead of halfback or running back A.J. Dillon, you would have wide receiver Lynn Bowden Jr. And this is about the first time that decision would not have been the right one. And then instead of tight end Josiah DeGuara, you would have wide receiver Gabriel Davis, who just had four touchdowns and over 400 or 200 receiving yards in the divisional round game with the Bills. And he was the 17th best receiver in the NFL this season. And then in the 2021 NFL draft, instead of center Josh Myers, you would have wide receiver Josh Palmer, who at this point in his rookie season was just the 81st best receiver in the, in the NFL. So maybe would not have been the right choice there, but if you break that down, even with the Elton Jenkins pick, okay, that's, and I think AJ Brown is a more impactful player than Elton Jenkins. That's one, two, three, four out of six times the Packers would have made the right decision to draft a receiver rather than any other offensive position that they tried to invest in. But receiver, because receivers, have such an impact on the game, a much larger impact than many other position groups, you have to invest in this position group. And the Packers just have not at all. And that has led to an offense that at times goes into droughts because when we face a top defense that takes out our number one wide receiver, we don't have other guys who can win quickly, who can create separation on their own, or who can get big yards after the catch. And here you saw how we could have added four of the top 20 wide receivers in the NFL just in the 2019 and 2020 NFL draft classes if we prioritized correct offensive positions knowing the situation the Packers were in. Then, finally, my last knock on Brian Gutekunst has been even when he's drafting position groups that aren't as important, he's over-drafting players. And to me, it seems like there are even better options at that position group he's drafting for. We talked about this a lot this offseason, but the consensus draft board is one of the more accurate ways to evaluate if you are reaching on a player or getting a steal. In the 2021 NFL draft, the Packers drafted three interior offensive linemen, Josh Myers, Royce Newman, and Cole Van Lannen, all three of which were overdrafted. They were drafted higher than they were supposed to be by the Packers, and there were better options for players they could draft even in that same position group according to the consensus draft board and according to me as well. For example, Josh Myers was drafted at pick 62, but the consensus consensus draft board had him as the 70, number 75 prospect. So the Packers drafted him a hair earlier than they should have. And the guy I wanted the Packers to draft in center Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma, who drew was drafted the very next pick by the Kansas City Chiefs at pick 63. His consensus consensus draft board position was just pick 48, which would have been a steal. And that's literally almost a full round better of a player that the Packers had the opportunity to draft, and they didn't. And let's just compare these two guys. Josh Myers finished the season with a 54.9 overall PFF grade. He was the 34th ranked center in the NFL. Obviously not good. He should not be a starting center with those types of numbers. While center Creed Humphrey, the guy I loved because of his athleticism, his amazing play during college, in his rookie season was the number one graded center in the NFL. Even better than Corey Lindsley, who has held that title for several years in a row, who we just lost last offseason. That's a huge miss. That's just 
bad decision making and I don't get how that can happen. I just sometimes think drafting should not be that hard. Now with the Royce Newman pick in the fourth round, again, a starting offensive lineman for the Packers, we were excited about the season, but he again was drafted much earlier than he was supposed to be. The Packers picked Newman at pick 143, but on the consensus board, he was listed as the 204th player, a sixth round pick. So the Packers drafted him about 60 picks earlier, almost two full rounds earlier than he was supposed to go. So right there is a huge waste of resources when you can get that guy much later. And a guy I truly liked better than Newman was again picked after Newman in Trey Smith. Smith out of Tennessee was drafted 23 picks after Newman. So at pick 166, but uh, Tennessee, uh, but he was much higher on the consensus draft board. Okay. And this season, again, Trey Smith played incredibly better than Royce Newman ever did. Royce Newman finished the year with a 56.1 overall PFF grade, the 65th best guard in the, in the NFL, meaning he should not be a starting guard in the NFL. But Trey Smith had a 72.2 overall PFF grade and was the 16th highest ranked guard in the NFL. It's just, I think sometimes general managers get too overconfident, try to overthink this process when really, if the Packers would have just stuck to the consensus draft board, they could um, have gotten this right. And also, if you just add in things like taking taking into account athleticism, college performance on a play-to-play basis, they would have easily came to the conclusion that Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith would have easily been the right decisions for that for them and would have resulted in a much better offensive line for the Packers. The Packers then would have had huge upgrades on this offensive line at two separate positions and their offensive line would have been even better than it was this year. And still with these two huge mistakes with tons of injuries, the Packers still had the eighth best pass blocking offensive line in the NFL while the Chiefs who drafted these two guys had the sixth highest I bet the Packers would have jumped all the way up to number four and pass best pass blocking offensive line if they drafted these two guys instead. And then as a run blocking unit, this is where it's even more important. The Chiefs finished the season as the third highest run blocking unit in the NFL in main part because while Humphrey and Smith were solid as pass protectors, they were amazing as run blockers. While the Packers were the 23rd ranked run blocking unit in the NFL, they struggled to run the ball at times because this offensive line was unable to move bodies in the ground game, which again would have been a game changer for the Packers offense this season. And still, if you think about it, if the Packers really did like Royce Newman so much to overdraft him that high, the Packers could have used the draft pick they did on Cole Van Lannon to just simply draft Royce Newman based off of the consensus draft board. Newman probably would would not have even been drafted when the Packers drafted Cole Van Lannon, and he could have been the guy they would have been excited about developing. Taking into account things like the consensus draft board is one thing that obviously Brian Gutekinds did not take into consideration in last year's NFL draft, and had he did, the Packers could have had one of the better offensive lines in the NFL this year and one of the best moving forward. And then to add to that, there were was there was a few big players I loved in this end of, in last year's draft. Those two players were, and looking back, 
who were players that were dropping down the draft board for whatever reason. And those were wide receiver Rondale Moore, who got selected at pick 49. But on the consensus draft board, he was the number 37 player. And the other was linebacker Jeremiah Owusa Koromoro, who was picked at pick 53. But he was just the eight, but he was the 18th ranked player on the consensus draft board. I think there are sometimes opportunities to trade up for big players you like that I wish Brian Gutekinds was more likely to ditch later round draft picks in order to secure to secure more top 100 picks, especially picks on players that are falling down draft boards like these two players were. I think the Packers could have traded our third round pick, pick 85, a fifth round pick and a sixth round pick to move up and get one of these two guys, which would have been huge. You're talking about having Rondale Moore. So Rondale Moore is one of the most electric receivers coming out of the draft last year, was a dynamic player out of Purdue, really athletic, huge yards after the catch guy, really fast, really shifty, super agile, would have added a huge dynamic to our offense that did not have, okay? And the other guy was JOK, who ended up being one of the top linebackers in the NFL this season as a rookie. Instead, so you would have had one of those two guys, instead of, here are the three guys we drafted instead, Amari Rogers, Isaiah McDuffie, and Shamar Jean Charles. And unless you're a really big Packers fan, you probably have not heard the name Isaiah McDuffie, and you might have heard the name Shamar Jean Charles one one or two times. And I think that is an easy decision to me as well. The other thing I'm just noticing is that with picking a player like wide receiver Amari Rogers, like the Packers did last year, he's never shown he has played at a high or elite level in college. And he's not very athletic. And those are mistakes you just can't make. Unless something else was holding him back in college, like injuries, you have to take these things into account. This is why I like players like JOK, like Creed Humphrey, like Ron Moore, because all of them showed really high levels of play in college and all showed high levels of athleticism too. I don't know. I just think there's more things to take into consideration than Brian Gute- that Brian Gutekinds is missing out on with some of these draft picks, and it's leading to worse results for the Packers team and a worse roster overall. So, in conclusion, over the years, Brian Gutekinds has identified a lot of talent in the NFL draft. He has. I really liked how he handled late free agency into the summer and throughout this past NFL season, taking chances on veteran free agents, making lots of low-risk, high-reward types of moves, which changed the entire complexity of this team, which without those moves, the Packers would have probably been the number four seed for the NFL playoffs. But still, some free agent decisions about re-signing some players just isn't right. Not understanding the most important priority positions over the last few years which has resulted in the Packers missing out on upgrading at the wide receiver position for a very long time. Then, on top of that, not understanding the consensus draft board and taking into account athleticism in prior high-to-elite performances in college is so important, which Gutekinds totally overlooked in last year's draft. To me, Gutekinds has some learning to do when it comes to the NFL draft, and overall, I give him a C as an overall GM. He has identified high-level talent. He's taken a lot of low-risk chances, which is great, but also needs to become more efficient 
and prioritize more important qualities in free agency and the draft. So that's all we have today, folks. Make sure to stay tuned for more episodes of Packers Now. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, give me a review so I can hear what you guys think about the podcast and tell your friends about Packers Now so that they can get all the latest updates on the green and gold because it's always Packers season at Packers Now. Thanks, guys.